Marlowe, and this is the Breitbart News Daily Podcast. On today's show, we begin with reportage and analysis of Biden's plan to forgive student debt. But that's not really what he's doing, is he? He's transferring debt to people who didn't go to college or already paid down their loans. This should offend everyone, and I explain why. Then I recap my appearance on Kudlow and I break down the forthcoming global recession and expand on some of the topics that came up on the show and give more details on just how badly the Biden economy is actually going. We cover a slate of other headlines as well in the opening, including Joe Biden flashing a hand symbol that's associated with the white power movement. Not a joke. Our guest today is Breitbart Business Digest author, or I guess my co-author, even though he does do more of the heavy lifting, I must admit, John Carney. He breaks down Biden's student loan move, California's plan to ban the combustion engine, and the globalist plan for all of you to eat bugs. Yes, they're really doing that. Happening a lot. It's coming. The bug eating trend goes on. Much more as well gets discussed with Carney, who's always a great interview. Let's get into it. start with two things. First of all, the first thing is on Jesse Waters show. I guess it was um well, I guess it was on Tuesday, but we had uh, the front page of Breitbart yesterday. Uh, you get the 30-second teaser trailer for My Son Hunter, which again, uh, the support that I'm seeing for My Son Hunter is just unbelievable and so many people are reaching out and they want to be a part of it and they're understanding uh, what a thumb in the eye of the Hollywood establishment this movie is going to be uh, when people see it and when it comes out. Um, those of you who have not been paying attention to the show or to Breitbart over the last few days, uh, My Son Hunter is Breitbart's f- first attempt to distribute a movie, and it is so slickly done. It's so well made, and it is a true Hollywood production directed by the one and only Robert Davi, who's been a longtime Breitbart contributor and is a director, but is also probably better known as an actor in all sorts of different movies. Um, from the Goonies to Die Hard to he was a Bond villain and he was also um, uh, Showgirls for some of you. I know it's a little early for that, but it would say, you know, it's got a big cult following. So um, he's got a great rich history and super duper talented guy. I, Davi also has a album of Sinatra cover songs, which I have and I play on a regular basis. And I'm a pretty big Sinatra fan, not necessarily but his personal life, but uh, his music. And Adavi does the best, I think the best covers I've heard of Sinatra overall. Um, and uh, they previewed it on Jesse Waters' show. Um, and uh, speaking of Fox, those of you who are followed my career know that I don't get on Fox very often for whatever reason. And I, the, the, that, that can be discussed great detail, great length, and I have on the show. But for whatever reason, yesterday, Larry Kudlow decided he wanted to have me on and John Carney. He's been having John on a little bit to talk about our Breitbart Business Digest, and we're very grateful for the opportunity. And we had a pretty long segment. I think it was like seven minutes or so, which is an eternity in TV time. And uh, we discussed uh, the forthcoming global inflation. We discussed the American economy. We discussed briefly the Biden inflation and the uh, scandalously named Inflation Reduction Act. And of course, the student loan forgiveness um, announcement that Biden made where the details are still a little bit murky and what it's going to look like in the end or whether or not Biden can even do it. Um, but that is uh, on the Fox Business website. We'll try to post it at Breitbart. Fox is a little prickly about posting their video content. So we'll see if I can post it at Breitbart, but it's definitely on the Fox website and it's really fun. And um, I also debuted to, to for the world to see uh, my mustache. Um, I will say also on the uh, on a, a a note, not a joke by the way. It's I think it's pretty good. I didn't realize until recently I can grow a pretty epic mustache, so you guys can see that. And I got to wear my red jacket, which I really like. Um, but I will say that we have some more video content for you tonight. Hopefully tonight is the plan, and it's my son Hunter related, and it is a Breitbart.com. And I would I would not want to miss it if you are able to to hang out. And stay tuned. And uh, there is some video stuff we're hopefully going to release tonight at Breitbart.com. So you should check that out if you're listening to this show live. Uh, But the main uh, 
story of the day, of course, beyond the My Son Hunter stuff and that Alex uh, magically ended up on uh, Fox Business Channel with Larry Kudlow, who really is a great guy. It just seems like an all-around great guy. And I agree with most, the vast majority of his takes, um, but I think that there's a few that I don't, but that doesn't even really matter because it seems like a genuinely smart and interested person who's had a lot of longevity uh, in a lot of respect, a lot of a lot of respect for him. Um, but I will say overall that the biggest stuff is, of course, the student loan forgiveness note that it, that is uh, it, it is just flat out going to be inflationary. And that's not just from me saying it. It's Larry Summers, also a guy named Jason Furman, who are for Obama. Uh, they've all said this is going to contribute to inflation. So Biden doesn't know any policies that he could implement right now, given our current economy, that aren't inflationary. He just doesn't because he's basically a socialist and he's a socialist because he's a big government Democrat and he does not know the private sector. He was elected to the Senate when he was 28 years old. He is now 138 years old. He just celebrated a birthday. Happy birthday. I'm exaggerating a little bit, but he's he's been in Washington for 45 years. He knows nothing about small businesses and um, any money he has, I, I presume, is either from getting major grants to do stuff and uh, getting hooked up to the various foundations or perhaps getting a kickback or two as he is known online as the big guy um, from Hunter Biden uh, cutting deals and then kicking him back to his family. I imagine that's kind of where Biden's money is. So he doesn't know any of this stuff. And uh, it is reports are showing that actually the amount of student debt and again, we don't know the exact details of the package, but it's apparently up to $10,000 for people who earn under $125,000 will just be erased. Uh, that that will, uh, uh, the amount of student loan debt that will be accumulated over the next four years will erase the $300 billion plus that this will cost. So the estimates as of now are that it will cost $300 billion but of course, those numbers are subject to change. They almost certainly will. And so, but the bottom line is four years, which is the amount of time it takes uh, to get a bachelor's degree, unless of course you're down to party, then it's five or six years or seven sometimes, um, is it, it, that amount of time, the whole country, just uh, any good it's done has been erased. So it fixes nothing, and of course it lays the groundwork for having to do this over and over and over again. So this is not something that is actually uh, going to forgive debt. It is basically a transfer of debt to often lower classes from uh, upper classes in general, not to say there aren't some exceptions, um, but if you look at the, the greatest concentration of who holds student loan debt in this country, lo and behold, you'll find blue states are heavily favored to have more student loan debt. And um, I, I'm not looking at it based on income. I'm looking at it. So I don't know for sure. Maybe there's some nuances there. But for the most part, you're looking at places like California and Oregon and Washington, D.C. Uh, that are holding the uh, New York, of course, uh, the uh, uh, Northeast that hold the most debt per person. And they're going to get a some relief. And this relief is going to be paid for by the people who decided not to go to college or the people who chose to pay off their debt. And uh, if that offends you, good, it should. It is offensive. And it's very arbitrary, the numbers that they chose, as we discussed on yesterday's show, I won't reiterate it too much, but apparently that if you make $126,000 um, and you know you got a, a STEM degree and you're in a job where you are actually uh, producing for the economy, then uh, um, uh, I'm sorry, if you make 124,000, let's say, and you're in a STEM degree and you're producing for the economy, and um, uh, then I've got it reversed. If you make 126, let's say you've got kids, let's say you're producing for the economy, uh, let's say you've got a degree that you really needed to go to college to get it, your debt can not be erased, you still keep it. But if you make 124, and you got a feminist dance study degree, and I don't know how you got up to 124, you would have had to have changed careers, and maybe you have no kids, and maybe you're in a job that isn't necessarily required your college degree, doesn't make a difference, your debt's coming down. So uh, this is all very arbitrary, and if it sounds like vote buying, it's because it is. It's blatant vote buying. And perhaps this is being done now specifically because Biden got a good chunk of his agenda passed, 
via the insanely named Inflation Reduction Act, which is scandalous because it doesn't reduce inflation. Um, and it didn't really boost his poll numbers. We're at 3.5% unemployment. I mean, his poll number is so bad because people are much more concerned about other issues, which we'll get to later in the opening. I'll get some fresh polling and what people care about. And it, it is, uh, as you can imagine, it is not the uh, it, it is not the things that are front and center on Biden's agenda. It is the basic kitchen table issues, as is so often the case. Um, so that is, that's that in a nutshell, but the, uh, the inflation reduction act, even if you believe that it's going to eventually cut the deficit, which of course, none of us do in this audience, but even if you read some of the most rosy productions, uh, projections, this will erase that the student loan forgiveness, which again, not student loan forgiveness, they debt transfer largely from wealthy elites in the coast to oftentimes working class people in the middle of the country. And here's the thing that I hate the most about it is it's going to push up the cost of colleges because students are going to expect future bailouts and they know that they can just borrow more because they know they're going to be bailed out to a certain degree. Um, And I know a lot of people, myself included, expected this to happen even to a greater extent in a while ago. But I am heartened in the sense that it really does appear that this is, I don't think this is going to be hugely popular politically because I think people have not realized that a lot of the Democrats' ideas and Joe Biden's ideas in particular are divisive or divisive, depending on how you feel like pronouncing it. Obama used both, depending on how grave the contexts were. When things were serious, he would like to use divisive. The current data is 72% of economists think we will be in a recession by the first half of next year, but the supermajority of human beings people who are not eggheads, people who are not some sort of authority figures, believe we're already there now. Services sector shrinking at a frighteningly rapid pace. The housing market is in a recession. New home sales crashed. The New York Fed's uh, Empire State Survey and the Richmond Fed Survey both showed a sharp contraction in manufacturing activity recently. And you know, what can rein this in? What can rein in the Biden inflation? There's going to be huge pressure on the Fed to raise rates to try to get unemployment a little higher. Um, but if they do that, that risks a big slowdown. So economically. So what's Biden's solutions to all this? Uh, you know, he, he, does, does he have one? No, it's mostly just spend, spend stuff. That's what they do. It's all he's got. He doesn't have anything else. Even some Democrats are not satisfied. Um, Someone all student loan debt canceled. They don't care that that would cost trillions of dollars, theoretically, because on the government's balance sheet, um, already the 10 grand is going to be 300 billion of revenue they're not going to get. Again, they weren't really going to get the revenue anyway because people aren't paying their loans back. And a lot of people, the loan deferment is going to continue too. something that we're happily participating in the Marlowe household. Because again, why? It's like, why would you pay down debts where there's a good chance the Democrats are going to forgive them eventually? Uh, you have to have a, a, your your level of commitment to having no debt has to be very, very high. Some people have that. Some people are, is, is that sort of the Dave Ramsey school of thought that, uh, you know, a penny of debt is, uh, is, is evil and sinful? I'm exaggerating a little bit. Ramsey seems like a wonderful guy, but it does seem like it's a very intense program. You don't take any debt. You don't take any debt. How it comes off sometimes. Um, Tom Cotton said that student loan forgiveness is Dems looking out for well-educated elites. We're not paying off mortgages and other loans. This is always a point that's very interesting to me is that why we decided this was an essential loan, uh, that this is where you have a right to have this paid off and nothing else. I mean, even if you think about consumer credit cards, for example, which most stuff on your consumer credit card, it's not high-end audiovisual equipment. Though there might be a little bit of that. It's probably food. It's probably clothes. It's probably gas. Um, how about your mortgage? It's the, if you live in an area where I live, it is very expensive to buy a house. And unless you um, had a family member give you enough money to buy the house outright. There's no one my age who can afford houses where I live. I mean, maybe there's one professional athlete in my neighbor. I don't know. Maybe there's one. But other than that individual, 
uh, that there's no one my age who can afford a house unless uh, to buy it outright where I live. Like that's not the way the economy is built right now. There's no houses in my neighborhood for $70,000. So that means you're taking a mortgage. So why do I have to pay, you know, three, four, five grand in mortgage interest every month? Um, but the, but th- th- that's necessary for me to pay it, but you don't have to pay a certain amount of your student loans. It, it's not logical. Of course, again, it's not logical at all, but Biden's looked at, there's a concentration of potential Democrat voters. He's trying to get off of the sidelines who have not been impressed with his first two years. And he'd like for them to show up and vote in November. That's what this is all of it. And he'd like for us to talk about it, which again, on this show we can do, because again, we have three hours a day, five days a week. But it is a bit of a sucker play. There's a lot. Out, there's a lot else going on, on the planet. Um, yeah, some conservative leaders calling it a hail mary before the midterms. I agree. And Biden was asked about the fairness of canceling student debt. Do we have this clip? Yeah, we do. Let's uh, play cut five, please, Zach. Is it fair to people who, in fact, uh, do not own multi-billion dollar businesses if she wants these guys to get them all tax Is that fair? What do you think? What about people who pay their loans, so struggle to pay their loans, and now others don't have to? Yeah, it just he's, he's prickly, he's bristling. We get some more Biden audio. I'm curious, based off of the low quality of that rep- response, let's play cut one from his announcement ceremony. By resuming student loan payments at the same time as we provide targeted relief, we're taking an economically responsible course. As a consequence, about $50 billion a year will start coming back into the the Treasury because of resumption of debt. Independent experts agree that these actions taken together will provide real benefits for families without meaningful effect on inflation. It's just false, just did false. And he does this all the time where he will, it's, it's literally Orwellian. My favorite example, and I, I don't know if I've nailed this perfectly, but this is something that happens in the, the book 1984 when, uh, the, when the government raises, the, when the government is low on chocolate rations and chocolate rations are coming down from three grams a week to two grams a week or whatever the unit measurement is. They say we're raising the chocolate rations to two grams a week. That's how they phrase it. This is how Biden does things. So again, rations were three. They're going to two. The government phrases it as we're raising it to two. And this is how Biden does it. Is This is something that will have a negative effect on. This is inflationary according to prominent Harvard Obama economists. And he says that this is responsible because it's going to bring money back into the treasury. The opposite is going to happen. This is going to take money out of the treasury, which again, maybe that's a good thing in a lot of your eyes, but it is Biden selling it as this is financially responsible. It's just a lie. Okay, let's play cut two, please. So my message to all servants, all public servants, all those who are the ones that are volunteering, is out with student debt to go. Here's what you want, if, you, if you're worried about how to do it, go to pslf.gov before October 31st to see if you qualify for public service student loan forgiveness. Stool? Wow, that's a good, good luck. Good luck with that one. Couldn't quite follow that one. All right. Um, former Obama economic advisor um, and Harvard Kennedy School professor Jason Furman, who I mentioned earlier, saying that the Biden loan plan will hurt a lot of people and helps wealthy that shouldn't be the top priority. So then why are they the top priority? It's voting. It's about voting. All right. Uh, one thing that came up on the show yesterday during Frank Gaffney's segment was I kind of brought up the Iran nuclear deal, which is there's a little bit of bubbling Iran nuclear deal talk. And I don't have a ton to add on this on the show today, but just it seems like an example of something that could become big very quickly because we know this is a uh, high on uh, Biden's priority list. Uh, he has not had any international successes. In fact, he's had some massive international setbacks. Um, Saudi Arabia kind of made a fool of him when it comes to oil. 
Um, uh, China is uh, the Biden has probably done. Uh, I, I would say Nancy Pelosi has been kind of the leader on the Far East policy, and Biden has not even really played in that space. And then, of course, we have the uh, Afghanistan uh, pullout debacle, which is one of the colossal blunders in the history of the country that if we had a sane media would still be talking about literally every single day, which, of course, they're not. But the Iran nuclear deal could be a way for him to try to save face. But, of course, be one of the worst deals on the planet, and it could make it more likely Iran gets nuclear weaponry. And uh, a lot of tough talk coming out of Israel and uh, Benjamin Netanyahu saying that it's actually worse than Obama's deal, the current deal that's on the table. The Israel Prime Minister, Yair Lapid, might be mispronouncing that, but he said it crosses Biden's own red line, which is interesting. Countries of the West do a red line, the Iranians ignore it, and then the red lines are moving. That's what he says what's going on. So, and it is, we're getting some attention. We have an exclusive story on the front page of Breitbart right now as we're having this conversation from Congressman Mike Gallagher suggesting that actually we will endanger Americans. So just keep an eye out. This could be the next move and Biden's trying to get some stuff done just in case he loses the Congress. Not to say he'll let that stop him because again, if you want to go back to the student loan question, there's a question of whether or not Biden... Uh, is even allowed to do this. And we'll see this play out in courts. There's a very good chance, and I'm not a constitutional scholar, obviously, though I've spoken to many, interviewed many of them. The suggestion that the president can just uh, forgive debt, which is, again, really transfer debt, uh, is arguably him appropriating funds, which is the job of the Congress, is not the job of the executive branch, according to our Constitution. So he'll make the case is not appropriating funds. This is forgiving funds that are owed, but we'll see if that is uh, what courts decide. But Biden's going to proceed as if this stuff is A-OK to do um, and the and see if Congress can have any opportunity to stop him. Well, th- that remains to be seen. But he's going to be pushing ahead. Um, the one other thing that came out big, this can kind of came out, I think it was pretty much during yesterday's broadcast, but I, I do want to comment on it. Um, that the, in Georgia, in the 2020 police shooting death of Rayshard Brooks, which was a very famous one, was in a Wendy's parking lot, and it led to a lot of Black Lives Matter rioting and stuff. Uh, the uh, jury had cleared the two officers uh, about either late, either late Tuesday, as you're hearing this live, no, it was early yesterday, uh, Wednesday, as you're hearing this live, um, and it is noteworthy that Stacey Abrams, who's running for governor in Georgia, had ref- said that the police had murdered the Rayshard Brooks. And the jury cleared them outright, outright, which isn't always done. And I've spent a lot of time reviewing these cases where uh, police shoot people and they die. It's just one of the things that I've, I've researched quite a bit um, over time. And very often that the police will be sort of semi-justified, but there will still be um, uh, the reprimands, there'll still be punishments, there'll still be, you know, a civil trial through the major settlement with families, stuff like that. But this is a case where the jury just flat out cleared them and said it was totally justified, which does not happen all the time, needless to say. And this is a super high profile one. It led to a lot of uh, rioting and rallying. And Stacey Abrams, who's running again for uh, governor, who still thinks she's the actual governor of Georgia from the 2018 race, which she's still not conceded, even though I was told if you don't do that, you're a threat to democracy. Um, That she said that the cops committed murder. Very divisive people. Also came out that she got $150,000 as a shareholder in a mysterious business entity when she disclosed where she gets her money. This is in 2021, 2022. Something called the Dream Project Partners, Inc., into financial disclosures that uh, Fox News got. And it's one of these things where for public officials who don't make a ton of money from their government jobs, um, they always find ways to get more money. But it's noteworthy with Abrams, who had run colossal amounts of debt, um, that since she lost, or wait a minute, I mean, sort of won, but not won enough in her 2020, 18 gubernatorial race she's come up with a way to get a lot a lot of money 
remember that she's gotten Hollywood deals. Um, she's written a bunch of books, both fiction and nonfiction. It seems like she's figured a lot of ways to get money, and this is one of them. But it's just noteworthy because worthy, this one, we don't really know what it is. She's a direct ownership in this business entity called Dream Project Partners, and it's paid her six-figure salary. And we know what this is. This is, for sure, super wealthy, elite people on the Democrat side who want to have a nice soft spot to land for Democrat politicians and Democrat stars. They figured out a way to funnel her some money. That's what it is. So just know that if you're a fence sitter and we're going to do the thing again where you don't want to show up and vote for some Republican because you don't think Republican's good enough for you, just know that this is the alternative. You get this lying person who calls cops murderers and gets kickbacks from the uh, Democrat super elite moneyed quote unquote philanthropy class, which was a huge subject in my book, Breaking the News and forthcoming research projects that uh, I will announce down the road. So it is, they've got the network set up where they've got the money, they've got the pots of money, they round it up from the quote unquote philanthropists and they have a way of pushing out money to their stars so that they have a nice lifestyle and are ready to go to enter public service when the time is right. All right, 866-95-PATRIOT. If you would like to be a part of the show, a couple other items I'll bring up. Quick woke update. University of Texas is offering a Taylor Swift songbook course. I'm hoping student loan forgiveness will apply to that. Uh, Joe Biden had insisted that he had zero prior knowledge of the FBI Mar-a-Lago raid. And he gave the white power sign when he did this. He did. It was the white power sign. You heard this, this is dead serious. Joe Biden gave the white power sign at this ceremony. Now, what is the white power sign? It's, it's just the okay sign, which you know many of us use from time to time. But we were told by all sorts of different left-wing organizations that it had been co-opted by neo-Nazis and white power people, people who believe in white supremacy. And Biden made the symbol, a W and a P with his hand. So, uh, just know that if Joe Biden was a Republican, we would be to having another day of Joe Biden is actually a white power racist. Now, Joe Biden said a lot of bad stuff about black people over the years, including calling black children roaches in the year 2017 during the corn pop rant. So we know he doesn't think very highly of people of color, BIPOC, if you will. Um, and he did use the white power sign. Now, did he know he was using it? I don't know. I can't read his mind but I do know for a fact that this is something that he, he did do. Does he know it's the white power sign? I don't think he knows where he is half the time, but he did it. And you could perceive it as a dog whistle. All right, uh, according to one poll, Donald Trump's support within the Republican Party has grown after the FBI raid. Of course, it doesn't surprise any of you guys. He was vindicated as the Department of Justice released a Mueller probe memo on not prosecuting Trump. Joe Paul has got the full story of that, but I want to tease that for you guys. Go to Breitbart.com for that. Here's that poll I was looking for earlier. Crime and inflation are still the top issues ahead of the midterms for people. So uh, that is, um, shouldn't surprise a lot of people. And I, w- I would submit immigration must be very high, but crime and inflation seem to be the biggest issues and that does not bode well for Democrats. So again, don't get cocky here. The map is very hard, particularly in the Senate. And if you get a close Senate race where you live, and many of you do, I know, then you get highly motivated to get 10,000 people registered to vote. But uh, crime and inflation seem to be the biggest ones, and those do not favor the Democrats right now. Biden's Pentagon rejected the D.C. mayor's request for the National Guard to handle the influx of illegal immigrants. Uh, We had a great interview earlier in the week with Ken Paxton, the attorney general of um, Texas, who is largely credited with this move. And uh, he was very quick to give credit to Governor Abbott, which I think was very smart of him, politically speaking. Um, but it is the, 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 what they've done to raise awareness about illegal immigration by busing illegal immigrants who want to go to places like New York and D.C. It cannot be underestimated. Um, let's see. Democrat Raphael Warnock spent over $61,000 of campaign funds to pay child support. This is a pretty big revelation. And I would put it on this out of Breitbart News. 
It's a, do you think that's a appropriate use of campaign funds? Those of you who cut a check to Raphael Warnock, Warnock also voted to allow China to exploit government programs to buy American farmland. Uh, this is another sleeper story that's out there that is, uh, I know Marsha Blackburn's on this. I know uh, Herschel Walker's raised some awareness about this. This is another one where I'm doing some research on this and uh, hopefully we'll put something out down the road. But the uh, China and some other really nefarious entities, like I know Bill Gates, are going around the country and they're buying up all the sorts of land that's out there. And they're, that's in the United States. And there are programs where they can do it and a lot of it's sort of hidden. And I find that to be very disturbing that this is happening. And you should be disturbed by it too. And add that to the list of stuff that we can't focus on too much because we got to push back on whichever Biden agenda item du jour is out there for us, like the student loan forgiveness program. Um, and I will say one more political one before we go to the phones uh, is uh, John Fetterman has been uh, called. He's been challenged to debate from not just Mehmet Oz, but also Sean Hannity, which I find pretty amusing. It's a pretty good stump by Hannity. Push for that. I'd love to see it in the station. I'd moderate. You think Fetterman would let me moderate? I agree with a few Fetterman's uh, policy platforms uh, or a few items on his platform. I mentioned this yesterday in the show. Um, but he won't debate because he's got, uh, he's not well. He's not well in the head. And he's not going to vote properly. So any of you who think that uh, Fetterman might be uh, uh, better than Oz because he wears a hoodie and Oz talks about crudite, I, I, I don't know. I don't know. Probably not. Maybe, but probably not. My interview with John Carney today begins with some uh, really significant facial hair talk, and then we get into some of the most important political issues of the day and economic issues. And he is just always someone who I learn a little bit every time he's on the show about how the world works, and for better, for worse, so often for worse, but uh, just a font of information and a really entertaining conversation. As always, with John Carney, let's hear it. John, I, I will say that the the facial hair uh, commentary is flooding my inbox. It just can't stop. It just, <laughs> I, I can't I stop. I want to congratulate you on your mustache, Alex. Thank that you. Was really, uh, it's quite extraordinary. Thank you. Yeah, it is unbelievable. I didn't realize I had this ability. When you uh, live your whole life and you've no idea you can grow an incredible mustache, and then it just dawns on you that you can and. Yeah, I just feel like I've wasted so much time. I just so much time has been wasted that it took me 36 and a half years, almost to the day, to realize, hey, I'm a mustache guy now. Um, but I, I guess that's it. It might be forever. It might be forever. All you haters out there, this is it. This is this is a this is my new life. This is the mustache life, and I'm living it, and I'm I'm loving it. I gotta say, but it was really funny because they do that cool graphic. Um, those of you who are missing the sort of inside joke, Carney and I were on. Um, Larry Kudlow show on Fox Business yesterday talking about the world economy, which we'll talk about here in uh, after one more one more uh, facial hair aside. It, w- it was noteworthy to me that they had this, these little graphic previewing who's coming next on the show and you're clean shaven, but you now have a beard and I'm clean shaven and I have a mustache and then we show up and we're unrecognizable um, from our picture. And it just shows you it's just kind of funny how TV gets made that there's it's also really fun because they're so, you know, Everybody else kind of looks the same on television. And, you know, we made a really striking pair. You know, they're clean shaven. We made a really striking pair. Breitbart has more facial hair than, you know, all of the rest of uh, television guests that day. You know, I did get one genuinely negative comment on the mustache for someone who I think actually was TO'd about it. And it actually made me like it better because it made me think, well, good. You're, You're having a strong reaction to this. It's the... Look, I know I've got good ideas, but I'm not always going to shake everyone by the lapels, uh, you know, with my ideas. It's a sometimes you think, whoa, that guy's got a red jacket and a mustache. Like, I don't remember that guy. Sorry. It's just the way of the world, John. If it wasn't that way, maybe I would have a better life. But that is how the world works. Sometimes you got to get people's attention with some cool facial hair and a cool jacket. That's all I'm saying. But can we talk about the world economy? I mean, you're really taking me down this tangent again. It's a and I blame you entirely. 
Um, though, but seriously, though, the subject at hand is beyond what's happening in the United States. It's actually what's happening on the planet. And we've written about this in the Breitbart Business Digest uh, this week, uh, looking at Europe, looking at, of course, China, even bad numbers coming out of Australia and Japan. Uh, this is very disturbing because I feel like, John, I wanted you to walk us through what's actually happening, what the numbers are showing. But when this stuff happens, it seems to be game on for the Davos crowd to try to uh, usurp more power. So first, give me the data and then give me what you think this could mean. Yes. So what we're seeing is a dramatic downturn in Europe. Uh, we know that they are facing a huge energy crisis over there because they spent the better part of two decades not repairing their own energy infrastructure and making themselves completely dependent on Russia. So they are basically at the mercy of Russia. They're in a race right now to try to basically stock up as much natural gas as they can so that if winter comes and Putin decides he's going to turn off the natural gas spigot, they can make it through at least this winter. That's going to set them up for a tough year next year, however, even if that happens. So Europe, it looks like it is headed into a deep recession. And so these surveys that come out, they're called uh, PMIs, Purchasing Manager Indexes, where they ask people who basically run businesses how are things going? What are you seeing? And what they see is very dire in Europe. It's dire in the UK. It's bad in Japan. It's bad in Australia. It is. And then here in the US, uh, what we're seeing is a failure of a thesis about the economy that people had, which was that we were going to transition from a goods strong economy where people were spending a lot of money on you know physical objects to put in their homes as we know, you know, people got you know stuck at home working from home. They upgraded a lot of things in their home over the past two years that they would start returning to a more normal level of spending in the services sector. Instead, what we've seen in the last month and a half, basically, is that services sector spending has weakened a lot and is now in a contraction mode, meaning people are spending less than they were a month ago on services. Why is that happening? It should be going the other way. Well, basically, inflation has been so high that it's forcing people to pull back on discretionary spending. When you have to spend a much higher portion of your paycheck just to buy groceries, you don't have as much money to spend on whatever services you're getting, whether it's, you know, going out to, you know, get some extra dental work done, whether, you know, whether it's going out to just eat with your family all of these things no longer become priorities when just trying to get enough food in your refrigerator, your pantry, and your kitchen table uh, is a struggle. So, John, um, the, tell me where the energy dependence on Russia plays into this when it comes to Europe. Right. Well, one of the big things is that a European Europe is going to have to have dramatic increases in the cost of energy for households, uh, so much so that it's it's a going to become a political problem over there because it is going to leave people with very little money to spend on anything else in their entire economy. Uh, and in fact, it's not even clear that the poorest households will be able to afford basic heating if the winter becomes very, very cold. Why are they going to have to jack prices up that much? Because if you don't do that, that's how in capitalist societies we actually ration things. Right. If you do not jack the prices up a lot, they are just going to run out of energy if the winter gets very cold. So what does this mean economically? Well, again, it's the same thing I was explaining before. You know, here in the U.S., we saw it with gasoline prices in particular, but they're going to see it in uh, in need to heat homes and businesses, run electricity. So they're going to have to, one, raise the prices a lot. That will leave people with little money to spend on other things. And then number two, they're probably going to have to ration directly uh, to businesses. In other words, tell businesses, well, some of you will be able to operate full time because we think, you know, again, to go back to essential businesses, they're going to have to do something like what we saw in the pandemic, where some businesses will be able to operate all the time and others will be told to scale back production of what they're doing because we need the energy elsewhere. So I always fear the answer to this next question. Who benefits from this, if anyone, or at least who comes out the best? 
One, I think, you know, rationally, this is humiliating to the globalist crowd because they were supposed to be preparing us both for an energy transition, right? Meaning getting, you know, making our energy less dependent on uh, natural fossil fuels. Instead, they're entirely dependent on fossil fuels. Number two, that they left their countries vulnerable. Of course, though, they will also be the beneficiaries of this because they're going to attempt, just like we saw during the pandemic, attempt to use this crisis to gain more authority. I mean, Alex, Joe Biden declared that he's allowed to cancel student loans because of some vague pandemic authority. That's what we're seeing happening is laws that people passed in order to you know, deal with a public health crisis now somehow are morphed years later into granting authorities that nobody had ever conceived of. So we're going to see more of that during the downturn that, uh, especially in Europe, that they're seeing right now. Uh, John, so student loan forgiveness, what do we know, what's out there, and you hinted at something which is a big deal, which is uh, how exactly do the mechanics of this work? Is this even constitutional? Is this even legal? Is uh, if it is legal, you know, then how come, you know, Trump didn't find a bunch of pots of money just to, to give out to people to buy votes? It just seems like a uh, maybe I'm just a little skeptical of it. Let's put it that way. Yeah. So first of all, I'll put my lawyer hat on and say I am very skeptical that this is legal. However, I am not sure uh, there's anybody who has standing to challenge it. Meaning, you know, to in, in order to have a lawsuit about something, somebody has to be the harmed party. And generally, that can't just be, you know, the American people. You have to have a specific harm to yourself. And so I am not sure that uh, that there will be standing to challenge it. It could be somebody who doesn't get loan forgiveness but believes they should may have standing to challenge because there are things like income caps in here uh, Somebody who maybe gets some of the loan forgiveness but doesn't get all of it may have standing a challenge saying that some of it is arbitrary and capricious. So possibly, but uh, but I'm not sure we're going to have a successful lawsuit against us. It is quite an extraordinary use of power that the president has decided apparently that he can do this with no laws being passed, with you know the executive action only uh, creating what amounts to uh, we don't have the exact numbers of how much this is going to cost, but yeah. earlier versions that were smaller said about $300 billion. I think we may be looking at at least $500 billion. And that's not just my opinion. Uh, Jason Furman, who's a Harvard professor, Obama administration guy, right. uh, he said he estimated half a trillion, so $500 billion of cost for this program. And, you know, just the idea that the president can, you know, launch a $500 billion program on his own, I think is outrageous. Congress, as Larry Kudlow said, is supposed to have control of spending. And they're, you know, they don't, apparently. If I were Congress, even if I were Nancy Pelosi, I would be very worried at this. And, you know, liberals should worry about this at this kind of uh, executive uh, coup really over the spending power because they're not going to have a Democratic president forever. A Republican could come in and you, the reason why we want checks and balances is sometimes we're not in charge of the government and we want to make sure that you know one guy cannot just have his way with the public purse, which is what's happening here. Yeah, that is precisely the way we've run the country in the past. But some of this just it just seems all like the the seems almost like there are certain parts of the populace that almost fetishize executive power and people who use it and wield it to a wild degree in a unrelated but in some ways entirely related um, story. California is going to ban the sale of new gasoline cars allegedly by 2035. Can they even do this? How would you enforce it? 2035 is not a real number because we'll have another governor or two between now and then, and they could just reverse whatever policy is there. Uh, do you buy this? Do you buy that by 2035 we'll be comfortable here? And, and by the way, isn't this like a great day? Should, shouldn't Elon Musk be high-fiving and toasting if this is the case? Uh, it's a, I thought, um, uh, he was hated by the Democrats in California now. So it's a, well, what do you make of that story, John? 
I think they're going to have a big problem, not just having enough electric vehicles, but also having an underlying infrastructure. 2035, you know, sounds like a long way away, but it's not. Uh, so frankly, you know, 13 years from now, will we be able to uh, support people, you know, traveling around, particularly in California, where a lot of people have very long automobile commutes? Uh, Without any combustion engines, I don't. I don't think that's realistically possible. I don't see how they could even get the copper they need to support that into uh, California, much less actually lay out all the infrastructure. You're talking probably in California a need to increase the infrastructure anywhere from 35 percent to 50 percent more energy transmission in California, and that's forget about like where you get all those electric cars. There aren't enough of them where nobody's producing enough of them. Tesla could run pull out for 10 years and not produce enough to replace every car in California. So, uh, you know, the cars are a problem. The transmission is a problem. Yeah, it seems like it. Um, so i just connect again a few of these. The UK Guardian, a big story on how insects could give meaty taste to food and help the environment. The scientists find. John, we we talk about how the globalist elite want us to eat bugs and then people call it conspiracy theorists. And then one of their favorite papers, the UK guardian puts out an article literally saying that they have a meaty taste and they could be great. It's the, uh, why in this world do we have to eat bugs? I mean, I don't understand. It's the, the cost of very high quality meat is not that high for, a, 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 for really the whole West. Um, and then is, uh, I, I can't speak for some of the third world and some less developed parts of the, the planet, but it just seems like, why do they keep pushing this on us? I have two thoughts about this. Number one, I think you should listen to revulsion, meaning when you find something completely disgusting, that may be your, you know, genetic memories telling you that's yeah, a bad idea. So hold on, know, hold on one second. One. Hold on one second. Two words. Teriyaki cicadas. <laughs> uh, but number two, sometimes I feel like they're doing this just to troll us. Like we say that the Davos elites are telling us to like eat bugs and learn to code. And then, you know, they say, oh, you guys are clowns, you know, you're crazy. And then, you know, a week later they're like, but, you know, you really should be eating bugs. Right. <laughs> it's right. ridiculous. We have plenty of food. I also, one of the things I'll bring up is if bugs became food, we actually don't know what that does to the ecosystem, right? We're constantly reading about how like a shortage of bees is going to wipe out all the flowers and trees. Are we sure that we know what happens if humans cultivate the, uh, instead of, you know, if we eat the cicadas when they, you know, pop out of the ground every seven years? Uh, I don't know if we're really prepared for what would, what that would mean. We probably should stick to eating the things we actually know the effects of, you know, raising them and eating them rather than yeah. you know, radically switching our diet to bugs. Yeah, high quality stuff like chicken nuggets. I think we need to get back on that. Like, that's what we need. <laughs> a, lot, a, lot, a lot more nuggies and tendies. Um, median monthly mortgage payments are surging. Uh, it, what do you make of this? Well, this is uh, the people expect that the Federal Reserve is going to have to raise rates more quickly. Probably we're going to hear more about that tomorrow. Jerome Powell is giving a speech in Jackson Hole. And we've had a lot of news that shows that the economy is actually, even though there's a recession looming and we may be in a recession now, Certain parts of the economy, particularly the labor market, seem to still be doing quite well. We added 528,000 jobs. So people think that means that in order to get down inflation, the Fed will have to raise rates higher, will have to keep raising rates for longer. That raises the, uh, the mortgage rates. They're linked very closely to 10-year treasuries. So what, so what happened was we had a big spike in June. Then in July, actually interest rates on home loans came down. And now they're climbing back up. So we're around 5.5%, a little higher than that on the 30-year fixed mortgage. We were up above 60% at the beginning of July, 6% rather, the beginning of July. We got down all the way to around 5%, and now we're climbing back up because people thought, well, they tightened, but they probably don't have to tighten that much, or maybe the Fed will back off if we have a recession. They're now seeing the surges in labor market, probably surges in wages. 
that are going to make the Fed tighten even more. And so mortgage rates are going to climb back up. Well, and rent's very high, too. So explain this, and then what are you supposed to do, or we're supposed to just completely get hosed on uh, housing unless you're you know, incredibly wealthy person. Like you're, we're just all screwed now. Well, I have, I have some bad news on the rent front. Uh, specifically, the uh, student loan cancellation forgiveness, which really a transfer, is going to hurt rent inflation. It is going to cause more rent inflation. It's going to cause more inflation generally, but rent is going to be in one of the places because you because student people with a lot of student debt actually are more likely to be renters. So this gives them more money to spend on rent, which means there's more competition for rent for apartments to rent. So prices will go up. Uh, same thing with food. Groceries are going to go up. And this is specifically because when you take a half billion dollars and tell people, yeah, you don't owe that anymore, right? Like here, half trillion rather, you don't owe that anymore. You have 10,000 more dollars of net wealth than you thought you had, 20,000. And frankly, it's even higher than that. It's more like 50,000 if you consider that people are going to expect further debt forgivenesses in the future. So you tell people that they're gonna spend more money and it doesn't increase production, it doesn't increase the supply of anything. This means more inflation, the people who are getting this or the beneficiaries will consume more. The people who are not are going to be forced to consume less because the high prices will price them out of things that they otherwise could have bought. That's today's broadcast. Thanks so much to producer Zach and Greg Eben, Robert Marlowe, Health and Pick Topics, all of you who have told 10,000 friends and family members about the show. We can't thank you enough. We'll talk to you next time. <laughs>